What's going on, man? Welcome back to the basement. I'm Ron, and today we have another installment of our world-famous skyrocketing player series we do on this channel where I talk through players who have moved up in my rankings. I did a redraft rankings update on the Patreon, patreon.com slash ronstewart, like a week and a half ago, and I wanted to make a video where I talked about players who moved up, and then we had the DeAndre Hopkins bombshell dropped on us yesterday. So I figured I'd kind of put them all in one. We talk about... Uh, I actually just updated the rankings today to reflect the DeAndre Hopkins move. So we'll kind of talk about the moving pieces on that team. And then we'll go into about, I think, five players that are skyrocketing up my rankings. So with all that being said, if you enjoyed this video, make sure you down below. Subscribe. Leave a like. Let's go. So the first thing we have to talk about here is the DeAndre Hopkins news. Now, I thought I had a screenshot uh, from Adam Schefter here. Actually, not from Adam Schefter. We have it from Ari Marov. I hope that I'm not butchering that name. But DeAndre Hopkins signs with the Tennessee Titans, and we have a lot of moving parts here that I wanted to get into, just in terms of the, the redraft fantasy football fallout from this information. Now... First up, at the top, the player who is actually the only guy in the entire list that is actually skyrocketing in my rankings. The rest of them are actually falling in my rankings, but I figured it's, a, it's an ADP movement video regardless. But the guy who moved up the most in my rankings, Ryan Tannehill. Now, if you're unfamiliar with what this little screenshot is, this is a screenshot from Underdog Fantasy. If you're new there, make sure you are hopping on there. Underdog Fantasy is a best ball platform. We stream there every Thursday, 9.30 a.m. Eastern, every Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern, every Saturday at 12 p.m. Eastern. Every single week this summer, we're getting serious about streaming drafts. We hop on there, we do drafts, we draft best ball teams. You don't have to worry about them at the end of the year. You don't have to worry about them with waivers, trading their best ball. It's at your best lineup every single week. It's a really fun way to get some practice in, run through drafts, and just kind of get a feel for the landscape this year. Again, Promo code RON gets you a deposit match up to $100. There's a link in the description in the comment section down below. You click on it, it takes you to Underdog Fantasy. It uses my promo code RON. Now, with Ryan Tannehill, I only have my top 150 done right now for redraft, right? Like, give me give me a break. It's late July. I'll have probably like a top 250, 220-ish, uh, probably by like the first week of August. Uh, again, that'll all be on the Patreon. But I figured I would rank Ryan Tannehill just for the sake of this video. Uh, he was QB 31 in, in ADP. He's still QB 1 in 31 in ADP. But this is where I ended up ranking him. So I only have uh, 18 quarterbacks ranked. So I, I decided to sort of rank how many quarterbacks would I have ahead of Ryan Tannehill uh, after the DeAndre Hopkins news. And I came up with Derek Carr, Stafford, Brock Purdy, Kenny Pickett. And then I put Ryan Tannehill. So QB 23, right? QB 31 in ADP. So that's like what? Like a eight-spot jump for me prior to where he was. Now, when we talk about why I moved him up so high, Let's talk about who Ryan Tannehill is. In my eyes, he's a very capable quarterback. Like, he's not anything special. But he was hurt last year. He had no supporting cast, right? Like, we're talking about rookie Traylon Burks. Like, Robert Woods was nothing last year. Uh, Oconco had some stretches. But, like, you're talking about, like, uh, Nick Westbrook-Akine. And, like, we're talking we're talking really rough uh, pass-catching options here in this Titans offense. But since 2019... Uh, which I believe was the year that he joined the Titans. Ian Harditz has a good tweet here. He was ninth in EPA per dropback, sixth in passer rating. Uh, since 2019, uh, fourth in yards per attempt, sixth in adjusted yards per attempt, tenth in completion percentage, and tenth in TD interception ratio. 
he's been a good quarterback. Now, prior to last year, he was the QB 14, the QB 9, and the QB 9 in those previous three years in points per game. He has some rushing upside too, though he is like getting pretty old, so I don't want to factor that in too much, but this is a big boost, right? You get DeAndre Hopkins, and the offense isn't going to be as bad. Like, I think it's a decent receiving trio of DeAndre Hopkins, who's going to be like a very uh established like kind of like alpha top dog wide receiver in this offense like 28 percent target share probably then you have Traylon Burks who's kind of this young ascending wide receiver Chigo Conquo there's a lot of talent and you also have Derrick Henry that's going to at least kind of stack boxes a little bit and open things up deep which has sort of been where Tannehill wins is on these like play actions when the defense just kind of collapses in on Derrick Henry so I think it's kind of a good you know boost for Tannehill and I think it also signals to us kind of the direction of the organization right you don't go out and pay DeAndre Hopkins like a two-year deal paying him a bunch of money if you want to tank and develop Will Levis this signals to me that they plan on playing Tannehill until the season is no longer salvageable right like if if they start say like five and nine or something you know something crazy like three and seven and maybe they look to will levis and they just see what they have in the future but if they win games and you know they end up like six and three around week nine like week 10 they probably just keep rolling with Tannehill, which i think is a good thing like the the part of the risk before this move was that Tannehill wasn't going to get a full you know 14 plus games and that will levis would be on the field sooner or later so i think it locks up how many games he's going to play i think it kind of raises the ceiling of this offense they should have uh, more pass attempts as well with a guy like deandre hopkins so you can expect a little bit more pass volume you can expect a longer sustained drive a little more touchdown efficiency from the entire offense now the players who move down now these are going to be the only players we talk about who move down in my rankings but i figured you guys probably want to know right uh we have deandre hopkins Traylon burks oconquo now let's talk about deandre hopkins first he was my 312 as my wide receiver 19 he is now my 505 as my wide receiver 28 so he went down nine wide receiver spots in about a round and a half and to me hopkins takes a really big hit because he carries a lot of risk we've seen a lot of these older x wide receivers kind of just vanish like we've seen it with andre johnson we've seen it with randy moss we've seen it with julio jones uh we see it with a lot of guys like i'm trying to think of some other ones on top of my head but there's a lot of guys where it's just like one year they have it another year they don't like we saw with des bryant uh, i think demarius thomas is pretty similar when you win with physicality and size it gets tough when you get older now i was down to bet on him because there was an upside there right if he goes to buffalo or he goes to kansas city then he could you know give you like 1200 receiving yards maybe even lead the league in touchdowns in a system like that but when we go to a spot like the Titans, where even all the positive things I just said with Tannehill, we're still talking about probably like a bottom 10 passing offense in the NFL. So there isn't that same ceiling to kind of offset the floor of him being a 31-year-old wide receiver who has missed 10 games due to injury the last two years and got popped for PEDs. So you'd never like to see that when, you know, I feel it's almost a signal that like he's starting to lose a step a little bit if he's trying to get on PEDs, but that's kind of more narrative-based. His target share should be great, right? You can kind of project him on a median for like, you know, 28% target share, but it's still a low volume offense. So it's going to be tough for him to pay off in a big way. And when we're looking at DeAndre Hopkins in that range that he's going, and you know, you're making tough decisions between DeAndre Hopkins uh, and guys like Jerry Judy and Christian Watson, uh, all of these kind of like young ascending guys, like even like a JSN, I think it gets pretty close there where you have young ascending wide receivers with a lot more upside uh, than a guy like DeAndre Hopkins. Like, I'm not sure 
I, I'm not sure what the win is, right? Like you have to think about when you're think when you're picking these players. You know, what do you win when you win? And I don't know how Hopkins ends up being like a massive league winner this year. And he holds a ton of risk. Now, when you guys say, okay, he's old, but he didn't look that bad. Adam Harstad had a really good article where we talked about this before. He talked through players don't have you know on an aggregate, right? If you take the average of like 300 careers, it's going to look like a nice like. You know, you approach your peak, you peak, and then you kind of slowly trail off. But we see, you know, some guys like Odell Beckham, straight up and then straight down, right? Like, not every career has that, like, magical bell curve, and it's just kind of what it looks like on average. Most players, they have their peak or whatever, and then they kind of sustain, sustain, and then they fall right off, right? Like, Harstad actually calls it death rate. Like, that's what that DR percentage is, death death rate. Like, most of the time, a guy isn't going to just trail from, like, 16 points per game to 14 to 13 to 12 it's it's usually you know 18 16 and then four right we've, we've seen with running backs a lot more than wide receivers right you can talk like melvin gordon Le'Veon bell todd Gurley, whatever but it's similar with wide receivers and really all positions in general it's just the running back cliff is just a lot earlier in their career so deandre hopkins is 31 and that would make his death rate a 21.6 percent death rate so 21.6 percent chance just based on the careers of are the 31-year-old wide receivers who were good. They had a 21.6% chance of falling off a cliff once they hit age 31, which is four more times as likely to fall off a cliff than, say, a random 25-year-old wide receiver, which just makes him that much more shaky. So I have him in an area right now where he's, like, next to Chris Godwin and Deontay Johnson and Marquise Brown, where I think he should be, right, where these are target hogs in bad offenses. And I think that's about as high as I can go. Again, I have him wide receiver 28. Now, our next player we're going to talk through is Traylon Burks, who, sadly, I moved down quite a bit. I had him as my 606 as my wide receiver 35. He's now my 803 as my wide receiver 48. So just shy of two rounds down and like 13 wide receiver spots, Traylon Burks, because he kind of has the upside case as well, sort of shrinked where he could have been the wide receiver one in this offense. He's kind of figured it out with Tannehill. The ceiling was the roof with Burks, right? Like he could be, a, it'd be a low volume passing offense, but the ceiling was like A.J. Brown with Tannehill, right, where it's like low volume, but he's an absolute stud, and he's giving you like fringe wide receiver one performances. With Hopkins there, you now have somebody taking like a, effectively like 27% plus of the targets, and there's not that same like easy path to wide receiver one upside. But I will say, I, I think, you know, a Devonta Smith type year two is in his range of outcomes where he could, you know, flirt with like top 15 numbers if this offense is actually good and Hopkins is good. Like I think Hopkins being good actually almost helps Burks a little bit in terms of uh, what his efficiency could possibly be, right? They're going to sustain more drives. They're going to have more touchdowns, more yards. You're going to have uh, resources allocated to having to cover DeAndre Hopkins. So Traylon Burks can now kind of uh, do his own thing and sort of play off Hopkins. And there was also, uh, I, I don't have, I wish I screenshotted it from Reception Perception, but Angelo FF on Twitter touches on it here. He said, in terms of long-term development, the Hopkins signing is great for Traylon Burks. Can learn the exhibition from one of the best boundary receivers of the, this decade while also being deployed in his more natural Z role in the meantime. So last year he was used, I, I believe he was used like solely as an X wide receiver where you're going to be posted up on the outside. You know, DeAndre Hopkins is your uh, quintessential X wide receiver. Now a guy that Burks kind of profiles a little bit more too, you know, your uh, Debo's and your AJ Browns, they move around the formation a lot more. You know, they win with Yak, all of that. And Burks is almost playing out of position as a rookie, which is tough when you're, you know, you're trying to learn the NFL. Now you're learning a whole new position. So 
Hopkins coming in can actually put him into his more natural uh, Z position, move around the formation, you know, uh, mess around out of the slot and, you know, get some more manufactured touches around the line of scrimmage. So I think it's actually a more natural fit for him. It's just like the, it's a thinner, you know, thread, needle to thread just because you have Hopkins that are taking so much off the top. But I do think, again, like a Devonta Smith type year two where, you know, Hopkins is kind of the main guy in the A.J. Brown role and Burks, you know, if he's going to be talented, if he's going to be good, uh, then that should show regardless. Like, there's not a, t a ton of other uh, targets to be stolen from him. But again, I just think the, the median projection goes down so much with Hopkins that I had to move him down, like, the wide receiver 40s uh, area. Now, I'll talk about Chigo Conquo real quick as well. Uh, I moved him out of my top 150. I had him at uh, my 1205 as my tight end 14. Now he's out of my top 150. I have him as tight end 16. So I didn't really move him down that much. Like, I have him at 136. I only ranked 150 players and moved him out. Uh, and it really just comes down to this. He's efficient. He looks like he's talented. Uh, but it's a pretty big deal to go from a potential, like, top two target earner to being pretty much the third target at best. This is a really good blurb I always bring up. Andrew Cooper, I believe he's Coop A Fiasco on Twitter, which is like a play on Loop A Fiasco, I think. And he said, when you look at the tight ends that finish top five without being a top two target on their team, the results are equally scarce. You have our best good friend, 2020 Robert Tanyan. Before that, the most recent is Martellus Bedett in 2014. So two in about seven years. That's like, what, seven times five, 35 top five tight ends. Only two of them have not been a top two target on their own team. And it makes sense, right? Like you need targets to score points. And if you're not uh, at the top of that target totem pole, you have to win on like crazy touchdown efficiency or yak. I mean, Okonkwo can maybe get there on yak, but the touchdowns won't be there in this offense. So with him now not being like a clear top two target in this offense, I moved him down accordingly. Nothing too crazy because he's still kind of like this upside, like young bet, but he's not somebody that I'm crazy about uh, in redraft this year. Now let's talk about kind of the rest of the players that have been skyrocketing up my rankings. And first up, we actually have four more players. So we technically have five players skyrocketing up my rankings, right? You have Tannehill and you have these next four players. Now, first of which we have Chris Olave. Chris Olave. And I had him as my 304, as my wide receiver 16. I now have him as my 208, as my wide receiver 12. So I moved him up about a full round in like four wide receiver spots. And I realized, I think I've been holding on to how I feel about Olave as a prospect or how I felt about Olave as a prospect uh, way too much. Uh, you guys were kind of, you know, giving me a lot of feedback on, I believe it was like the wide receiver ranking video and just kind of how I've been talking in streams. And I went back and I kind of looked through Olave and I think I've been a little bit too harsh on him uh, because the whole, the whole idea with Olave for me or the, the whole pushback with him has been, you know, non-early declare uh, round one wide receiver, which means Usually that's a lower ceiling archetype. Uh, and he also just seemed like this downfield possession type wide receiver and was getting, you know, your uh, Tyler Lockett type comparisons, right? Where like, it's a technician, you're not going to get any missed tackles forced, no yak, down the field receiver, which is a good archetype, right? Like even like an Amari Cooper as well, where Amari Cooper has never had like a top 12 finish. Those are kind of the archetype that I've seen him in, right? Like a, a technician, downfield guy, can get open, can catch passes, but then every, anything past that, it's a little bit tough. But I think that he kind of showed last year that he's he's much more than that. Uh, and I think I, was being, uh, I think I was being unfair. These are what the model spits out, or my database spits out as his year two comps. Pretty much I just go uh, like roughly 20% in both directions of year one PFF receiving grade, points per game, yards per out run, targets per out run, uh, and he's in a list of studs, right? Him and Ayuk are the only guys on this list not to have a top 12 season yet. So, you know, when we look at a list here of his potential comps, 
uh, and you see names like Mike Evans and Michael Thomas and A.J. Brown, and what, there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven comps for him on this list, and six of them have top 12 seasons. Uh, two of them have top five seasons. The ceiling is there. He was a good prospect, you know, 11th overall pick, lived up to the hype, and just all time in my database, if you want to look through that, uh, he ranked 8th in PFF receiving grade with an 82.9. Among all first-round rookie wide receivers in my database, uh, 13th in points per game with 13.2, 5th in yards per out run with 2.42, and 5th in targets per out run uh, with 26.5%. And this is where the elite ceiling comes in, because we talk about this with tight ends, but it, it matters for wide receivers as well. You're getting your efficiency uh, one of probably three ways. It's going to be touchdowns, it's going to be yards after the catch, and it's going to be uh, average depth of target, right? Because if your average depth of target is super high, you don't have to rely on missed tackles force and stuff because your yards per reception can probably go toe-to-toe -to -toe with a guy like Debo's, right? If, if you're just catching the ball downfield already, not adding anything after the catch, you know, your, your yards are just coming before the catch instead of after, right? Like if your yards per reception is still coming out similar to a lot of the other top producers, then you're going to be fine in that category. And Olave has kind of shown that with the ninth highest eight out last year, 14.9 yards downfield. And not only with that, but he's spending targets at a huge rate. 26.5% target per run is no joke. That's like a top 12 number last year in the NFL. And when you combine that with the ADOT, you're, you're, we thought maybe he would lack the efficiency because he can't do anything after the catch, but the ADOT's giving him the efficiency. And then he's also getting a lot of volume on top of that, which gives him the ceiling that I thought he didn't really have, right? Like for comparison, Tyler Lockett's going to be a downfield guy, but he's about a 20% target per run guy. So you can really raise your ceiling if you can you know, add efficiency before the catch, but then also command targets like a true alpha in the NFL. It kind of makes up uh, for not having that after the catch ability. So that's why I'm kind of, I'm kind of back in on Chris Olave. I think again, I think I was just being a little bit too, I, I don't really know what the right word is for it. Uh, I was all in on dynasty. I already had him as a top eight wide receiver in dynasty ahead of Drake London. But I think, I, I, I think Given what he did in year one, you can't rule out a crazy ceiling because we've seen year two wide receiver jumps are crazy. And I don't think we can assume a low ceiling until he shows us he has a low ceiling, right? If he comes out this year and he caps out at 15 points per game, then no harm, no foul. We go into next year and, you know, he settles out in that like Calvin Ridley, Amari Cooper, whatever range. If he balls out like crazy, he's a one-two turn pick. So you might as well kind of pay to find out uh, with Chris Olave. And it just, it just makes sense to buy in. Again, like 11th overall pick. Looked amazing reception perception, right? Like almost a whole green route tree, 83rd percentile versus man, 73rd versus zone, 83rd versus press. He's like a true technician. He gets open, uh, has the efficiency ceiling because of the ADOT. He commands targets, year two breakout. Lots of reason to buy in. The only thing that I don't love and why I had him lower as well, uh, what, not just his profile, but this, down, this Dennis Allen offense isn't great. Uh, they were the fourth slowest offense last year. They were seventh lowest in pass attempts per game. Possibly that changes with Derek Carr. Uh, Mike Clay has him at 21st pass attempts, which is fine, right? You're probably like a little bit below average. Uh, but I will say, you know, even if it's a lower volume pass offense, it should be fine. We've seen Derek Carr support Michael Crabtree, Amari Cooper, uh, Darren Waller, Devontae Adams, whatever. Uh, it really shouldn't be all that difficult. And I'm not really worried about Michael Thomas. Like until Michael Thomas proves to us, like we haven't seen Michael Thomas do anything substantial in the last like three years until he proves that he's the guy that he was in like 2020, 2019. Uh, I, I don't think you can move Chris Olave down for a guy who's going in like the eighth round of fantasy drafts, you know. Uh, but after that, we have J.K. Dobbins. J.K. Dobbins. I moved him from my five, my 601 as my RB19 to my 502 as my RB16. So I moved him up three running back spots and about a round. 
and I'm really coming around on J.K. Dobbins as like the running back to draft in the dead zone without any hesitation this year. Again, we don't like drafting running backs in the dead zone, right? Like J.K. Dobbins going like fifth, sixth round. Usually I like taking wide receivers there, but it's kind of like, it's one of those rare years where it feels like all of the good wide receivers are on bad offenses. So I'm not like crazy. I'm not dying to take in the sixth round Deontay Johnson or Marquise Brown uh, or Michael Pittman, right? Or, or Mike Evans, Chris Godwin. We've talked about Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, but they it's not catastrophic to miss out on those profiles right like once like judy christian watson dj moore are gone i think it's a pretty flat tier of wide receiver which is when i'm down to lean in to a jk dobbins now when we talk about jk dobbins solid second round prospect uh would call him like a similar uh tier prospect to a guy like javante williams or kenneth walker coming out right second round pick just solid across the board. Uh, he was ultra-efficient in his rookie year, J.K. Dobbins. He was second in rushing yards over expected per attempt, first in yards per carry, seventh in yards after contact per attempt, second highest breakaway run percentage. He was the RB10 in points per game from week 11 onward, uh, despite officially only starting in one game and going over 60% of the snaps in just three games in that rookie season. He was really, really efficient. He looked really talented. Then, of course, preseason of that following year, he tears his ACL, and then he never gets back to 100% uh, last season, but he was still pretty damn good like people like it's, it's so crazy what Dobbins did uh off of a torn ACL he came back too early weeks three through six and then they throw him back in there weeks 14 through 19 which week 19 is going to be the first round matchup for Cincinnati he never plays like he, he never even really plays over 50 percent of the snaps but 120 yards total on like what what's that like 15 carries and no receptions 128 yards total on 13 carries and one reception 59 yards 93 yards 105 yards like it's pretty crazy like even, even just last year uh, fighting through injury. He was fifth in yard, rushing yards over expected per attempt. He was second in yards per carry. Came back, averages over 100 yards from scrimmage in his final uh, five games. Like, it's pretty crazy. Like, every time J.K. Dobbins has been on the field, he's looked good. It was just a matter of, like, not being able to, to shoulder that workload uh, last season. But we have Deepak Chona, who I might have on the channel. He follows me on Twitter. He seems like a sharp guy. Let me know if you want, if you want to hear from Deepak Chona. And I feel like I'm butchering his name, man. That can't be how you say it. Uh, but he's a... Uh, been kind of one of my go-to uh like doctor types on twitter he's like a sports surgeon uh out of like stanford he's like number numbers oriented uh and he talks to jk dobbins here or uh yeah he talks to jk dobbins that he's betting on the comeback here he said first year off of acl and lcl and meniscus is brutal for arby's it's, it's a brutal injury that he tore his meniscus lcl and acl there's like some hip damage it was terrible so the performance dip and elevated injury risk projected to hit dobbins for 19 months which is now over Expecting the stud who hit 100 yards per game, 6.5 yards per carry in his last five games. So he's saying that the, you know, the ramifications from that injury that you can kind of expect over a, a long period is now over. Dobbins should kind of be back to his normal self, which is really interesting, right? Because we get him in this new offense under Todd Monken, who is going to pass the ball much more. He's going to run a higher paced offense. And that should, you know, lighten up the boxes for J.K. Dobbins. You're still going to get monster efficiency because he's in a backfield with Lamar Jackson and he's good at running the ball. And I think that there's more pass catching upside as well than you would think. He had over 20 catches all three seasons at Ohio State University. Not even Ezekiel Elliott did that when he was at Ohio State University. And I mean, like, uh, assuming the Ravens add nothing to this backfield, like, it wouldn't shock me if J.K. Dobbins was the three down guy. Like, why not have him out there on passing downs? Like, Gus Edwards, someone I'm betting against, he's still having knee issues from a similar injury as J.K. Dobbins last year. Um, he's had more complications there. And you just have Justice Hill, who's, like, never played meaningful snaps in his entire career I mean like I kind of like Justice Hill coming out maybe he ends up being the satellite back but it wouldn't shock me 
uh, if Dobbins ends up getting some of those passing down uh, looks or snaps, whatever. So I'm all in on J.K. Dobbins. I think this offense is going to be great this year. I think the offense is going to be great. Uh, and J.K. Dobbins, every time he's been on the field, has looked good, and he's now presumably healthy. Now, after that, we have Cam Akers, who I had before this video as my 802 as my RB23 in my rankings. He is now my 701 as my RB21. So I'm in like just two running back spots, but I moved him about a whole tier uh, in like a round because he's kind of one of these dead zoners running backs that I don't mind prioritizing. Right, we're talking like a seventh round pick here. So again, that's not really dead zone. Like that gets to a spot where it's late enough that you're not passing up on you know your Christian Watsons and your Jerry Judys and your DJ Moores and your Drake Londons and like these young exciting wide receivers. You're kind of passing on like a bunch of sort of whatever, right? Like Gabe Davis, Kadarius Tony. I mean, I, I like those guys, but if I have no running backs by then or like just wanting running back, I'm fine with Cam Akers. Uh, and I would say that he is kind of the classic dead zone back, but he's not as expensive as the other ones, right? Like Miles Sanders is like a whole like round or two ahead of him. And he's similar where you're drafting the guy because of projected touches, right? And we look at Cam Akers, he is in a super, super weak uh, running back room here with Kyron Williams, Sony Michelle, and Zach Evans. Guys, like, Mike Clay has them all projected for, like, under 120 carries in this offense. Cam Akers should be the main guy, and we've seen year in and year out with guys like Todd Gurley that Sean McVay, when he has a running back in his offense, he likes to use them pretty much as, like, a bell cow, right? Like, last year, Cam Akers early on, uh, week one, he almost, like, delegated Darrell Henderson uh, to be, like, the full bell cow. Like, he usually likes going with a guy who's going to get uh, a majority of the snaps. I think last year was a little bit weird because he had kind of a weird running back room going on. But Cam Akers, like, also just had a really weird year as well where, like, first week he comes out, people, like, started him in their lineup, right? He was, like, a fourth-round pick last year. Boom, 16.4%. Kind of, like, sucks. Like, through week five, wasn't great at all. He, like, takes, like, a hiatus where there's, like, a bye week, and then it's, like, are they going to cut Cam Akers? Are they going to trade him? And then they end up just out of nowhere cutting Darrell Henderson, and the rest of the year, Cam Akers just goes absolutely bananas, right? 19 points, right? So we're week 13 on, 19 points, 9.3, 13, 34.7, 14.3, 15.8. He was the RB5 in points per game from week 13 on, and I'm kind of open to this idea that Deepak Chona goes through here that... Cam Akers post-Achilles RB production did last two-plus years for many and projected to affect most of his 22 season. Looks like he bounced back early. Last three games put up 136 yards per game, one touchdown per game. Expect return to his pre-Achilles trajectory. So what he's saying is maybe the Achilles was still affecting Cam Akers even, you know, two years plus out, which kind of makes sense, right? We saw, like, Deonta Foreman uh, really struggled to kind of, like, figure out his career early on. And then, like, about, like, two years after the Achilles tear, he comes back and he was great on the on the Panthers. He was great on the Titans. He gets, you know, a contract this year on the Bears. Maybe it's similar with Akers, right, where it was, like, two years ago and last year was still affecting him. And then he kind of finally started to, like, get his mojo back and get his, his balance and his twitch back. So that's exciting, right? If you can draft a Cam Akers, if you can draft a pre-Achilles Cam Akers with no competition in his backfield in the seventh round, probably something you should do now the only real concerns with this offense you have an old Matthew Stafford uh, but it should be a little bit better than it was last year right because we didn't have Matthew Stafford he was like hurt and the whole offense was terrible often should bounce back a little bit uh, I will say the biggest down you know downside of this is that the Rams have the 28th ranked offensive line according to PFF so that's not great uh, but again I think that that's kind of like priced in right like you're just kind of buying cheap volume uh, seventh round not super expensive like I, I can kind of get there uh, on Cam Akers. Now, the last guy we'll talk through here is going to be Samaje Pirai. 
he was my 1008 as my RB39. He's now my 906 as my RB34. So I moved him up about around in like five running back spots. And he's interesting because you guys know I'm prioritizing almost at all times late season production, right? We're drafting rookies who break out towards the playoffs. We're drafting Brees Hall who, you know, sort of projects to be somebody that could smash down the stretch. Like I am prioritizing the playoff weeks because that's where we make the money. But when we talk about like ninth, tenth round, like, like I, I think some people will like almost like draft. They'll draft early on for week one projections. I think that that's a the wrong way to play fantasy. Like I'd rather play early on. I want to spend picks on players that could you know blow up towards the end of the season, and then later on you can kind of fill those gaps with guys who are more like for you know first half of the season kind of like. Uh, trying to think of the right word but almost like sparklers that kind of like you know their shine dies out pretty quick Samaj P. Ryan's kind of that guy uh and I kind of love it because 9th 10th round again it's not a big it's not a big opportunity cost and if you're drafting like a zero RB team or if you draft like a Brees Hall or a Jameer Gibbs like some of these running backs might get off to like a slowish start you can just plug in Samaj P. Ryan and he can be pretty damn good for you uh Deepak Chona right the, the the whole reason to sort of buy into P. Ryan is the Javante Williams injury, right? So Deepak Chona goes into it. He said, glad to see Javante Williams is optimistic. This is when uh, Javante said he's going to play week one, uh, like a few weeks ago, which is just insane cap um, from him. I mean, I hope he proves me wrong. I hope he proves me wrong. I hope that he's healthy and doing well. Uh, but Deepak Chona says, uh, but playing week one equals three months ahead of average and two ahead of J.K. Dobbins in 2023. So we'd expect this to take some time. He said young RBs average three to four games to ramp up touches. And the first year is associated with major overall performance. Dobbins likely just cleared his. Javante will, but probably not before week eight. So pretty much what he's saying here is Dobbins suffered pretty much the same injury in the preseason. And he wasn't ready for week one. And Javante suffered the same injury, but in week four, right? So in terms of the recovery timeline and J.K. Dobbins getting on the field around like week three, he was coming from the preseason where as Javante is about like six weeks behind him. Uh, so that's an issue, right? That could be a spot where like he's not playing until like week six or like week five. And you get like these almost like bell cow games from Samaj P. Ryan. And it's going to get it's going to be an uphill battle for Javante Williams anyways, right? Like he's likely never going to be at hundred percent this year. If he is, maybe it's like really down like the last five games. But you have the upside here where like if we just look at these JK Dobbins game logs, you can see like he comes out there, or no, this is this is Cam Akers. But if you see look at the the uh, the JK Dobbins game logs, he doesn't play till week three, and then he plays week three under fifty percent of the snaps, week four uh, hovers around fifty percent. Week five under fifty percent. Week six under fifty percent, and he doesn't. Then he takes time off until week fourteen. So, like, imagine this could be what Javante Williams is looking like. And on top of that, J.K. Dobbins again. He suffered the same injury much earlier uh, than Javante Williams, right? So he had about like six weeks of recovery timeline uh, leeway on Javante, and he still like really struggled to get on the field. So. Like, Javante could get back, and then you could have, like, a setback where he plays, like, four weeks, and he doesn't play, and he's, like, you know, maybe, like, the 1B to Samaj Piran on 1A. Like, I think Samaji's going to have the floor to himself, and then Javante could come back, tweak something. Like, Javante could just never get back to a full workhorse load this year, and you see, like, kind of a 50-50 split, which I think is still going to be valuable uh, in a Sean Payton offense. And the cherry on top is that Piran's going to be a bell cow early on in an empty running back room. Like, the only other running backs in this room are Tyler Beatty and Tony Jones like two absolute like two guys where if they if they waived those running backs I'm not sure anybody picks them up off the waivers you know so in an offense 
that I want to bet on to bounce back with Russell Wilson. And we get Samaj P. Ryan, who's going to have games all to himself early on, and then have the upside where if, like, Javante has any setbacks or anything, you know, you get extended period of time of Samaj P. Ryan just being a nice, serviceable RB2 for you. I kind of love him. Uh, and I even went and checked out just kind of like what can you expect from Samaj P. Ryan in week one. I went to uh, Number Fire is a website. I think the J.J. Zacharyson used to work for them. Uh, but they already have week one fantasy projections. Now, you can talk about, like, if they're accurate or whatever, but they're just a, a rough account of what you can expect in year one, uh, a, a week one, right? These are not perfect by any means, but you can see I, I ordered it by underdog ADP. So Maj Piran at 105.5, he's the only one projected for 12-plus points per game until you get to James Conner all the way at 84. So that's, like, what's that, like 15? No, it's, like, 20 picks. Uh 20 picks of value in terms of what you can start in week one and he even projects similarly in week one to guys like Miles Sanders and Cam Akers who I like Cam Akers and we just talked about them but they're going like the 60s right so you can like you can pay a fraction of that price for a guy who's going to produce similarly early on in the year and then as the upside for Javante Williams to kind of have some setbacks and not be as great and he's just kind of the perfect complement to those guys up at the top that are a little bit lower right like Jameer Gibbs and Brees Hall in terms of week one projection and with Samashe Piran like He's never been a great running back, right? Like, obviously, he's never won all pros or gone to the Pro Bowl, but he's very capable. Uh, he averages in 16 career games with 10 or more carries. He averages about 15 points per game. He has a pace of 47 catches and 391 yards through the air and a pace of 267 carries and 1,031 yards on the ground. Like, that's pretty – like, we're talking a 1,000 yards on the ground with, like, flirting with 50 receptions? Like, that's really good. So he makes a lot of sense to me if you're light at running back or you need early uh, season production at running back in that, like, 9th, 10th round range. Samaj so Piran, a guy who I kind of just wanted to disregard uh, early on in the offseason, I think he has his place uh, in certain builds. Now, that is going to do it for us today. As always, if you want to see the full entire top 150 ranks, I actually just updated them today for the DeAndre Hopkins news. So we have my top 150 out, and then we also have the downloadable top 150. I also updated, I have the sheet where if you download it, you can upload it straight to Underdog and use my rankings there. So again, Patreon.com slash Ron Stewart for the rankings. If you want to use them on Underdog, make sure you hop on Underdog if your first time there. Promo code Ron. We get you a deposit match up to $100. Now, that is going to do it for us today, I believe. Don't hold me to it. I believe we're going to have a crazy ambassador video tomorrow. We're back on our grind. It's summer. It's redraft season. It is the summer of best ball. And as always, I love you guys, and I will see you all in the next one. Stones, uh, like this froze, uh, ice cold, uh, oh, oh.